my wife was committed to a life of joy, even as she was dying from cancer. And we, we went to brunch. You know what I'm saying? You couldn't keep my baby from brunch. You know what I'm saying? We had champagnes. You know what I mean? Like we, we did all that because you have to, you have to laugh, you know, the world to make you, the world to kill you with tears. You have to laugh. Situation Room Podcast live stream. You're here. You've made it. Tim Robinson says, I'm late. No, Tim, you're late. It's a great comeback. Um, we got all the people on all the things. Uh, Todd Roy from Nova Scotia on YouTube, Empire Six on Twitch, Michelle K from Atlanta, Georgia. Hi. Uh, I love you too. We're just, we need to love each other. This week has been stank, heinous, ratchet, all the horrible things. Um, and I'm glad we can be here to just unwind, to talk about what's going on, get some revolutionary strategy under our belt. A few jokes out there. We have two great guests. The wonderful Nato Green is back on the Bituation Room. I know you guys have missed him. Um, also author and activist Malkia uh, devich Cyril is here. So excited to talk to them. Um, if you guys are listening in the future as a podcast, remember, rate this podcast. Give it those five stars. Give it five. We had a bonus episode this week with Max Elbaum, uh, father time of the left. He was great. Uh, made me scared, but good. Very good. So listen to that if you haven't caught it yet. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, remember to click that little bell. Just a little, like, I don't know where it is, but, like, there's a bell somewhere. Click it so you know whenever we're going live. And you, you know, you can just like run and hopefully like do a little risky business slide over to the computer or with your phone or wherever you're watching this and then catch it live. Um, Also, we are accepting your tips because this show is just a little, just like a little, um, just a monkey on a tricycle of an operation, man. We uh, are just me and Becca and all of you out there. And we need your tips. And every week we donate a portion of your tips to a different organization. This week we're donating them to Movement Voter Project, which is fundraising uh, to get money to grassroots organizations in swing states so that they can get out the vote, strengthening progressive power at all levels of government, um, helping getting donors big and small, supporting the best and most promising local community-based organizations in key swing states. Sort of exactly what I just said. But there are fundraising gaps in key states like Florida, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona. So honestly, y'all, this is to stop fascism. We're doing it. Movement Voter Project. We will donate a portion of all the tips that you give us. And just a thank you to everyone who's been so generous over these weeks in this quarantine, despite this awful economic situation, being so generous with your tips and giving us money. Um, It's been awesome to be able to donate to a different group every single week. Um, So I'm just going to shout out a few names. Suritam, Daniel, Steve, Vern, Juan, Marianne, Katie, Harry, Gabby Pochia. What's up? Edgar, Lucia, Kyle, John, Kurt, Jean, Peter, Jesse, Dean, and many, many other people. You have donated. You've been so generous. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're the best. Um, And now... Without further ado, I want to bring in my guests. Um, 
He's a comedian, a writer, a labor organizer. He contributes to The Bugle, The Last Post, and this podcast, The Habituation Room. His second album, The Whiteness Album, is out now. And most importantly, you can find his series, Laughter Against the Machine, with W. Kamal Bell and Janine Brito on streaming on Means TV. So get that. Means TV is like socialism and TV together. And yeah, welcome, Nato Green. Hello, darling. Cheers. Hello. Um, NATO is drinking a cocktail for those future people listening. Naturally. Um, uh, tonight's cocktail is called Cameron's Kick. It uh, is an interesting drink that mixes uh, bourbon and scotch and uh, almond orgiette syrup and uh, uh, lemon juice. It's very tasty. Um, That's so. making me orgiette just thinking about it. Yeah. Well, if you came to my house, I would make you a drink on the porch and you could actually i don't need to see you orgy at in person that's that's not what appropriate for our relationship i also realized that orgy it should be orgasmy yet but we can have yeah. an orgy yet as soon as this pandemic is over yeah it's really this, killing the group sex vibe dude this, the, the pandemic is really hard on on the poly community right now so hard. <laughs> the amount of testing and then just yeah. like the the yeah. windows of like should we shouldn't we it's yeah it's like it's like you need you need to you need to self quarantine for 14 days before going to your other lover's house right you actually have to track the amount of ass you've been eating yeah um all right and on that note i want to bring in our other guest um they are an activist a writer a public speaker on digital issues or issues of digital rights narrative power, black liberation, and collective grief. Um, with a dozens of published works and appearances, including a featured spot in Ava DuVernay's Emmy-winning film, 13th. Um, my guest is also a senior fellow at uh, Media Justice and also the organization's founder. Please welcome Malkia Devich Cyril. Hey, what's happening? I'm hey. trying to wake up. Here I am, waking up. I'm here. I know you Monday. have also a drink. I don't know if you want to share what you have, Malkia. Well, it's, let me just say, a on special camera, blend. I'm drinking water. Uh -huh. Off camera, I'm drinking Fireball. <laughs> because that's how I get down. Nice. I don't, have, I don't mix my drinks. I buy them just like that. I mean, I think that's what Fireball was meant. It's fire plus ball. Exactly. It's a mixed drink it's right there. It's already done. Done. Uh, I, I have been no, known to drink fireball. I've, I have had fireball in my life. It's not beneath me. I'm not a snob. I am a snob, but I will also, I am definitely a snob, but I will also okay, drink wait, I'm fireball. A snob. Let, like, me, uh, let, let, let me, me back this up. I'm hundred percent a snob, but I will also drink fireball. Good to know. Yeah. I love it. This is what we need on this Sunday. Um, Malkia Nato, let's start this podcast off in the same way we start every single podcast which is what are you bitching about now <laughs> wonderful thank you becca for that uh nato what are you bitching about this week well i know the show's gonna get heavy later but uh but let me i'll, I'll start out bitching on a, on a lighter note which is uh and people who are paying attention to my social media already know this, but you know, my I I have been married for uh, uh, seventeen years, and we, my wife and I, have been trying to work things out and reach a common understanding, and it's 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 not working. And we decided our differences were are irreconcilable, and we are taking a trial separation of coffee. Um, uh, that we, um, 
you know, we, we both drink coffee, but we don't like the same things in coffee. She likes a light roast. I like Ooh. a dark roast. We attempted to find a middle ground roast that we could both drink. And I believe it's fucking, called a medium. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? Fuck a medium roast, mostly. Like I'm not, I'm not into it. We for a while we had a good medium roast that we were getting that we were both that we both liked that was from Phil's. But then when the George Floyd Floyd protest popped off, uh, people started like criticizing Phil's for giving free coffee to cops, and there was calls for Phil's boycott. So then we had to go try to find another medium roast that we could agree on, and you know, failed, failed, failed. Finally decided we're both gonna just like live with separate carafes. Um, uh, and have our own stash of coffee in the house. Um, I like I like a dark like like dark oily bean. She likes you know like these these all these new bougie places that are into their like artisanal coffee and uh, and it's very it's very like this one area that I'm not a snob is I just I like I don't believe it. Uh, yeah. like you like did just they, say carafe though. So yeah, I did say that. But listen. That these places that like are super into their light roast and are like, oh, you get more of the flavor with the light roast. And then and then the tasting notes, like I can't, you know, like some of these fancy coffee places that'll be like, like I'm willing to believe that someone who is a very active coffee taster thinks that they can taste citrus hints, notes of citrus in a cup of coffee. I do not believe that anyone can not only taste citrus, but can specify Satsuma or blood orange <laughs> among all the various types of citrus. <laughs> like that person's just a fucking liar. Um, I was you in one coffee. Who's like, you're going to jump at the opportunity to make like, uh, what is it? Like a simple syrup with Satsuma, but like no one can taste Satsuma in coffee. NATO, yeah, I call right. BS on your worldview. Uh, you, you know, Francesca, Marxism is about living with your contradictions. Uh, true, the true, propulsive true. power of contradictions to drive history forward. And so, you know, like there's some some places I was in one place where I was looking at the tasting notes and they had the categories of like acidity, uh, taste. And then and then one of the categories was body. Uh, and it said uh, full bodied. And then under taste, it said full bodied. And I was like, why does it say full body twice on here? Is it just like a hella full body on this coffee? It's thick, thick, thick ass coffee. It's yeah. Thick. Yeah. So <laughs> Malkia, what do you what do you prefer? Lighter or dark roast? I don't I don't roast. I mean, I don't know. My wife just used to make coffee and that's I don't know. What like, well, I don't know what happened. I don't know what magic went into it or the process. I know that we have a coffee maker. I don't know how to use it. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I like. Lori Stuarty on Facebook says, put fireball in your coffee and you won't care anymore. There it is. I I'm with that. 100%. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. Yeah, I'm going with the medium. I like the medium, but I agree with you, Nato. The the like the gourmet, like this is so bitter. You can't feel your faceness of new coffee. It's just like, I don't get it. It's all the caffeine, too. I can eat, have like two sips of fills and I'm like, I'm good. All right. You know, like I'm perfect. Uh, yeah. Well, and yeah, if you have two sips of fills... Suddenly you're like, I need to poop right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's exciting because like if you're out and about, suddenly it's like, oh, I didn't know I could run that fast. Those are facts. <laughs> yeah. Those are facts. Uh, all right. Well, um, Malkia, do you want to go next? I mean. Or what are you bitching about? 
you know, to be honest, like I'm here in a little bit of a somber mood. I mentioned to you before my friend uh, Rahua died. Uh, she was a Seattle activist, you know, chef, just a beautiful all around person. So the thing is that, you know, right after I found out that she died, I heard that Chadwick, you know, Bozeman died. And that was right after I had finished watching the Movement for Black Lives, you know, convention all day. I mean, you know, all evening. And so I had decided after all of that, that I only wanted to focus on kittens. <laughs> and I just felt like kittens were where it's at. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. think I should do or think about or talk about anything else. The only problem with focusing on kittens is they are also focusing on me. And so that means that I can't sit anywhere. I can't walk anywhere. I go to the bathroom, I pull down my pants and then there's a kitten in my pants. <laughs> you know, like I just, I try to sit on the toilet, but there's a kitten under my butt. Like I just, I thought they were going to be my companions, but they have become like an appendage <laughs> and I did not sign up for that. You know, I don't know how to manage an, an extra append. I already, I'm already very thick. You know, I don't need any extra appendages. Um, the boy cat, the black one, of course, he's black. He he wants his freedom. So he's always running out of the house, you know what I mean? <laughs> trying to escape, trying to get free. And I'm trying to explain to him, but there's freedom right here, though. You know, I've, I've created like a lot of freedom in this space. You know, I'm, I'm all about empowerment, kitchen empowerment. I, I want that for him, but he doesn't understand. So he, you know, he runs away. It's like tear so, down every wall. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Mm -hmm. Would you say that your black kitten hasn't hasn't emancipated his own consciousness yet? I mean, I don't know how much work he's done. You know, he's only <laughs> been alive for six months, or not even actually four, five months. So I think he still has work to do. I'm going to put him through some workshops. Um, uh -huh. You know, but just I think inherently he's uh, he's toward freedom. He moves toward freedom. You know, the other one is striped. She's a bit of a mixie. I, I think that she's working with her identity right now. Does and, she have assimilationist tendencies? Um, I think that, yes, she's a little bit, She's she, she moves more slowly toward freedom. Let's put it that way. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if she's assimilating or what she's assimilating into, because is it is it me? <laughs> is she assimilating no, into, like, assimilating my oppression? No, just living the best like incarnation of her life you got to decide say, who they were in their yeah. past lives because my god i i agree on the cat sanity like using my cat i'll just pick up my cat and like breathe into her yeah. fur and for people who are I allergic agree. that sounds awful but for I'm me i'm sorry. just like <gasps> like it just gives me it like calms me yeah <laughs> exactly what i need she's yeah. very aware that like i am incredibly emotionally dependent so i should i think they're just assimilating into being your emotional appendage i'm They'll with be that, though. less of a physical appendage once they learn how to like you know do their own thing um, I am bitching about something more, whatever, a little more serious, but I'm tired of Republicans and the Republican party and people online talking about how the Republican party is the party of Lincoln. Oh, shut the fuck up. Like, stop, just stop like, that. Just stop. Like, you don't care. Like, like, first of all, is that the last good thing that the Republican Party did? It was like, hey, we signed the Emancipation Proclamation, <laughs> yeah, like, 200 years ago. You know what I mean? Like, what? You have nothing else, really. Um, and also... You're on some what have you done for me lately. 
<laughs> Honestly, but like talking about emancip, but but okay. Also, like I remember, I had something like I had a tweet that was like, you know, something like a uh, left and right rage are very different. Like left rage gave us the weekend, or the right rage gave us the KKK, and the left rage gave us uh, the weekend. You know, very very different things. And someone was like, "Oh, the Democrats were KKK," and just like motherfucker, like where where are we situated in history? Like at what point in time are we talking about? Because we're in the year 2020. The parties have completely flipped most in part. Thanks to like, that was like the last thing that Lincoln did. And Republicans were like, uh, uh-uh, I don't want, I don't want any of that. And they sealed the deal with the new deal when they were like, fuck the working class, fuck FDR who ran as a Democrat and won. Right. Uh, that's when they completely like, like the conservatives and liberals switch sides. And I don't understand how we don't, under, like appreciate that and why that's not just common knowledge and why we're allowing Republicans to continue saying that they're the party of Lincoln. So Francesca, am I getting this right? That what you're bitching about is the American political discourse, not having a nuanced analysis of American history. It's not even that nuanced. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm serious. Like seriously, it's not that fucking nuanced. It really isn't. Usually but yes, I, I hear the irony in your voice now, and I'm getting <laughs> that it was a joke. But I'm like, it, it is a little bit of a like, like black people should thank us kind of thing. Like we've like Trump is straight upset. He's done more for black people almost as much as Lincoln. You're not the party of Lincoln. Um, and just let that go. Let that go. All right. <laughs> That is what I'm bitching about. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah. Um, guys, let's move on to uh, a little bit of a rundown of what happened in this last week. Um, only four things happened. I want everyone to know that uh, only four things happened in the news. It's been a slow, slow news week. Very slow news week. But we're going to get into it all with the week where. All right. This was the week where the death cult formerly known as the Republican Party held their national KKK convention. The and the entire week was basically an enema of American propaganda. And sometimes you don't want that much America. You know what I mean? I feel like America's like mayonnaise. You know, you sometimes you just want a little bit, a little bit. Of, you can't have the whole sandwich can't be made of mayonnaise. Um, there was a lot of praise <laughs> of Trump's handling of coronavirus. Uh, and honestly, like the amount of cognitive dissonance required to claim the president has done a great job of stopping COVID-19 when 180,000 Americans are dead might be the same amount of whatever Don Trump Jr. was on the first night of the convention. Mm-hmm. Like that's just chop that up and snort it. Um, mm-hmm. The GOP also, if you watched, trotted out many uh, people of color in a bid to allay white people's fears about Trump being racist, just straight up. Uh, Kind of the way that like you try to get a baby to eat their baby food by eating it first. You know, you're just like, "Mm, mm, this white supremacy is good. Here comes a military tank. You know, like it's the same exact way people of color are like, no, I swear it's not poison. Um. It's strange because also Trump is clearly, if you've watched it, if you've watched Head, um, he's running this like outsider campaign, even though he's the incumbent. Um, he's calling the violence happening now around the country Biden's America. 
which is like the equivalent of finding a hair in your Chipotle burrito bowl and the manager going, that's Panda Express's dinner for you. You know what I mean? That's right there. What? It's This is fucking your place. <laughs> I I saw, uh, you know, I, I saw this headline that said uh, after Trump's speech at the RNC, that Trump said uh, the headline was Trump spreads falsehood about NATO. And I was like, what the fuck? Why am I involved? <laughs> like, <laughs> get my name out of your mouth, motherfucker. Uh, so, but what he said is this is the first time in 20 years that NATO members have increased spending, which is false. Uh, it's false about Europe and Canada, but it's also false. I mean, it's, it's false about me too. Like if you look at NATO spending, it's definitely true that I'm spending more on liquor to drink at home, but I'm spending less like going, I'm not spending money going to the movies or buying eating out. And so in total it balances out. Um, the, the thing that's been most incredible to me about watching the, uh, Oh, the other thing is the, the at the RNC, the Republicans played this video of a naturalization ceremony oh, um, where there were these, the, like, like there were these people getting, getting their citizenship and, tr and Trump was there. And the headline was it, like, like some of the word choice in this moment is so incredible. The headline was that they weren't warned that they'd meet the president. Um, like, like, no, you know, like, can you imagine, like, you yes. know, I, I have my criticisms of Obama, but like, no one needed to be warned. Like, if, if someone was like, if you got surprised by Obama, you'd be like, oh, shit, Obama's here. That's cool. You know, like, uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be like, why didn't anyone, I'm not prepared for this. Like, right. you know, I need to have my like mace and whatnot. So, but the thing that's been incredible <laughs> to me is like how much, like watching these, like, mainstream liberals go on and on about like the hatch act violations like anyone fucking gives a shit oh, like God, people yeah. are just like so past the like you know and this this week someone was like this was the week that we finally reached a tipping point towards fascism and watching watching this week, this week okay. it's like this week like where have you been you know like and and watching these liberals you know like like the Pelosi's and the Schumer's and that sort of the NPR audience of the world being like, man, this is the, the Trump is really marching towards authoritarianism. And uh, like, it's like they're scolding, trying to scold us out of fascism, but there's no, it's like, so, okay, well, if this is real, and people are like, we really need to learn the lessons of, of, of the Nazis. Uh, and it just feels like, like the response is not commensurate to the analysis. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be like, you know, when they get rounded up by Trump's secret police and whatnot, they're going to be like, check my last tweet, everyone. I told you this was coming. I told you so. Called it. Hatch Called act. it. First. First. There's going to be a lot of firsts. Malkia, did you subject yourself to any of the RNC? You know, I did, but I was so confused. It was hard for me to watch it because I was like, I thought it was 2020, but it feels like it's the 1950s. So I was like, not sure who was president. Like I, I didn't understand, you know, I couldn't, I was looking for McCarthy, you know, I just, I wasn't understanding what was going on. It, it really sounded like, like a Hitler youth rally, you know? Um, so I was very, uh, I, I wasn't happy. 
I watched it because I felt like I, I should, you know, I felt like I should know what they're saying, but my spirit was yeah. so injured, you know, um, that I had to, I had to turn it off. So I, I only watch it in bits and pieces. Hold the kittens close. Yeah. Yeah. Had have to have my security blanket. Mm -hmm. yeah, Let me know what happened. <laughs> like when you in a horror movie kind of thing. Exactly. That's exactly mm -hmm. right. I just watched the corner of a horror movie. Do you ever do that? Where uh, the whole screen is like, if you go to one, I'll watch the corner to be yes. like, I see action and I'm not, I'm not a wuss. Cause like, I'm not covering my face. I'm just looking there and I'm not <laughs> looking at the scary stuff. That's what I did with the RNC. I was just like, I'm just looking at the side of the podium. See, I'm kind of the opposite. I feel like I have to look at the thing head on. Like if, if somebody's being impaled, you know, on a fence, <laughs> You know what I mean? I need to see. I need to watch all of it. And that's what I did, you know, with the RNC. I was just like, I just engorged, you know, on the on the horror mm -hmm. so that I could um, build up a defense mechanism. You know what I mean? That's what it felt like. I was trying to protect myself by watching it and watching it and watching it. So then it wouldn't hurt me so much. That was my thought. Right. I don't think it really worked, though. That was bad. Whoever gave me that advice. I'm not <laughs> they were wrong. Them. Yeah, they was very wrong. Um, all right, I'm gonna move on. This was also the week where the action film Pachamama Payback continued, this time with a hat tip to the struggle against racism as Hurricane Laura knocked over a Confederate statue in Louisiana called the South Defenders Monument just two weeks after lawmakers voted to keep it. Um, and now I'm not sure what more of a wake up call the South needs. Like when the literal mm. winds of change are telling you to let go of the Confederacy. Mm. Even the weather is against you. I mean, exactly. everything is saying no to you. Stop it. Just stop. Absolutely. So some people, some people like when like people are calling to to demolish these statues, and some people are taking matters into their own hands to pull over statues of of murderers and slavers and stuff and 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 then what some people want to replace them with other kind of statues and i'm not i don't agree with that part like i don't want to replace those statues partly because i just think that like anybody wants who wants would have a statue of themselves is probably a bastard you know what i mean like um like like there's no statue anywhere for someone to be like this is the person who is great at listening um and and i want to be able to like i like you know, I, like this is the kind of optimist I am. I want to be able to like someday take my grandchildren around and show them like the rubble in front of city hall where the statue of the like genocider and colonizer used to be and be like, this was, this was, there was another society here when we arrived and this is the ruins of the past civilization. And, right. and they were dying as we, when, as we showed up. And so, and we just, we wanted, we wanted to, and they were a greedy, stupid, mean civilization. And we wanted to keep this, these ruins here to remind future generations uh, of, of the horrors that went before us and not to go, not to go that way again. And also it's very important to you as my grandchildren that you know uh, what the word plinth means. Um, you have really thought about this. Yeah. I put some time it into it. This is the second it. time you've spoken about plinth. Okay. Yeah. I have a lot to say about plinth. Uh, the Plinth Industrial Complex. So, I still don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. It's the base of a statue. Oh, right, 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 right. it's the thing you put a statue up on. Okay. It's where it says, like you know, best actor in right. the, mm. on your your fake 
uh, right. Oscar that you got in Spanish class when you made a telenovela and got an award for it? I mean, I, I'm I'm a strong believer in the cultural struggle being part of the broader political struggle. I think let's tear them down, you know, all of that. But also, I want to just make sure people be tearing down the right statues because, like, somebody tore down like a statue of Frederick Douglass. Like, just I'm just <laughs> saying, just I need you to focus on getting your history. You know what I'm saying? Correct. So right. that we they were like, actually, it was bronze. Yes, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Let's make sure that we on 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 target with our political strategy. You know what I'm saying? So that so that we can do right. But don't don't tear down the statue of Harriet Tubman. <laughs> don't don't do that. That's not that's not part of the struggle. Mm-mm. Word. Uh, all right, I'm moving on. Our next topic. Our next story. Remember, only four stories this week. Uh, This was the week where Kellyanne Conway, whose title is still an enigma to me. I'm actually (laughs) not sure what she did, where she slept. Like, I feel like she was just in the closet and they'd be like, activate Conway. I don't know. Anyway, Kellyanne Conway announced she's leaving the White House. Um, not over concerns about Trump's racism, authoritarianism, or using a foreign government to get dirt on a political opponent, but because her 15-year-old daughter is becoming a progressive TikTok star. Uh, or as she would probably put it, uh, China is using filters to turn her daughter into a communist. Um, Kellyanne Conway said in a statement that, quote, it will be less drama, more mama, which oh. is like the sweetest thing a daughter could hear unless... That mama is Kellyanne fucking Conway, in which case it's incredibly scary. Um, Kellyanne's father is also withdrawing from his job at the Lincoln Project, the sort of like Republicans that are good, um, the political group that is against Trump. Um, He's also going to try and devote more time to the family. Like, I feel like this, the Conway household is just going to be a never ending episode of Maury Povich. You know, chairs are going to fly. There's going to be a lot of yelling. I love it. I want like a reality show mm-hmm. of the family at this point. It could be called something like The Amazing Racist or So You Think You Can <laughs> Gaslight uh, or more accurately, just Mob Wives. <laughs> I like the last one best. I mean, right? but I think it should be a, a lesson to young people, like young white people everywhere. This is a strategy. She's look, look at this leadership. Just us is what you have to do to get your parents to stand down, your Republican parents. Just you need to go on Twitter. You need to go on TikTok. You need to tell them about your socialist tendencies. You know what I'm saying? Just go. Go hard. Go all the way. And maybe that is the way we can get them out. Because obviously everything else is not working. Honestly. (laughs) So I'm going to lean on the youth. Like it was once she did the WAP dance, she did like the WAP challenge. You know, yes. 15 years old, she's doing the WAP dance. Her parents were like, oh God, oh God. We gotta, we gotta leave. <laughs> yeah, we we to gotta leave. stand down. Republican parents are very uh, sensitive to people who make them look, uh, their children make, embarrassing them. Uh, I, I mean, I, I feel like there's a, there's a lot of ways that this, that this move by the Conways is very consistent with Republican values. Like, you know, first of all, like my when I read that story, my first reaction was like, so these people just can they can afford to not work like how they can pay rent, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, they, there's no there's, yeah. There, yeah. Obviously. Right. How they can pay their mortgage, how they going to how they going to buy food. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like on the third house, the, on the third house, like that, that 
you know, it must be nice to be able to be like, you know, like I'm just going to, I'm just going to focus on parenting my children and not, you know, like, oh, and I also, I'm going to be driving Uber a little bit on the side because I, you know, <laughs> as my fallback from being senior advisor to the president of, uh, and, uh, you know, and it seems like it's like the Republican dream to get women out of the workplace. And so now Kellyanne Conway is like, you know, back in the home. I, But I was all, in some ways I was surprised by it because usually conservatives don't care about their children unless they can opportunistically, opportunistically use them as public props. You know what I mean? Unless they've been like. This is true. Killed by an undocumented immigrant or something. Then they don't actually care about their children. They just want to be able to be like, this is this tragedy of my virtuous white child has suffered oh my god that's so true if because if she were the complete opposite she'd be like oh yeah no your life should be even more public than it already is fuck parenting like you're already a right-wing star if you could just stare down a native american man uh you know make unbreaking eye contact and like you know shoot up a protest like right you're totally right they I'm just know. saying, Baron Trump, pay attention to what we're saying here. Baron Trump. <laughs> <laughs> <Lessons>. <laughs> twice. All right. This was also the week where players in the NBA, the WNBA, the MLB, MLS, and tennis went on an athletic boycott in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement after the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. The NBA didn't play for three days. Um, they finally, though, agreed to resume games, but will, quote, establish a coalition that will focus on access to voting for the November 3rd general election, promoting civic engagement, and advocating for meaningful police and criminal justice reform. Uh, this was co coincidentally also the week where my boyfriend continued his athletic boycott against working out by rebranding it, quote, solidarity <laughs> sitting with Kenosha. Um he is the LeBron James of PlayStation 3, ladies and gentlemen. Just, just let everyone know. It's great. I don't. <laughs> uh, I feel like this this thing that happened is, is it, uh, this is, you know, I, I appreciate the spontaneous militancy. I saw um, there was a Dodgers player, uh, was his name Mookie Betts, who said that he was going to participate in the strike uh, because he he just wanted to get the ball rolling, and those are two contradictory statements for a baseball player to make. <laughs> to get the ball rolling and not be playing baseball. So I'm sorry that joke is beneath all of us. Um, but the uh, I, I feel like this is this is what happens when people don't really understand strategy, because uh, like as an organizer, you know, like they, those, those players fell for the oldest, like boss rope-a-dope of all time of like, you know, Oh, you have demands. We'll, we'll establish a fucking committee to consider your demands. That shit is never happening. Uh, so, you know, I think they should have, they should have held out for, for, uh, for converting the NBA to, to worker ownership or something, uh, or trans transformational. But but Obama got to them first. Yeah, yeah Obama, Obama said no. Get Obama back said to the game. Obama said, uh, you know, you're leading the way. We support your protests, but also only focus on voting. <laughs> the Mountia, most what did you make of this of the boycott? The most Obama that ever Obamaed. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm gonna be real. You know, I thought the protests were a very big deal. You know. It's one of the first times we've seen the NBA come to a straight standstill. Um, 
uh, as a result of, of uh, you know, folks protesting the treatment of black people. I think that overall, though, it, it was more publicity than than substance, you know, um, and I'm fine with that on one level. You know, there's a role for publicity. There's a there's room for uh, for for visibility. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like we, we need that. Um, and I'll just say, look, it's never happened before. And if now it happened, so that means it can happen again. And yeah. I, I don't, you know, I'm not interested in a coalition or a commission or a study like that part. I'm like, you can keep that, you know, because um, we have enough of that. But the fact of people who make, you know, millions of dollars sitting out, you know, um, and what that costs them and what that costs, you know, the, the NBA as a whole, I'm yeah. fine with that. Do that. I applaud that, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I think you're absolutely right that like they can always do it again. And the fact that it caught on like wildfire, I think is really, is really inspiring. Um, But you're right. I mean, what is cool is they're thinking of turning like stadiums into basically voter registration halls. And I would be happy if that happened. I don't want them to study voting. You know, I want them to actually make it safe to vote so that black people can actually Go somewhere and vote and not be shot on the way, <laughs> you know, not be killed by vigilantes on the way. Dude, that I would want be LeBron great. to be like just like being the, you know, chaperone of black voters. Into, yep. That'd be so tight. exactly. I'm, I'm with that. Um, I want to just mention that speaking of voting, we're taking tips for the Movement Voter Project. And I didn't drop the link and I didn't tell you guys how to do that. Venmo at, at TBR dash live cash app TBR live. TBR dash live. Wait. TBR dash live on Venmo Cash get App your, TBR Live. Let me get it is. right. Thank you so much already for, for your really, really generous donations. And that was the week where. Tada. Let's move on because we haven't touched on kind of the biggest news that happened this week uh, beyond the RNC, F that. But the RNC absolutely um, fanned the flames of and um, utilized what happened in Kenosha to further their own agenda of race baiting, red baiting, um, and trying to go back to this tried and true um, white fear of black radicals uh, tactic. Um, and what happened in Kenosha was the was the shooting of Jacob Blake, who is still fighting for his life. Um, and then in the ensuing protests, um, the killing of two young men, um, Anthony Huber and Joseph Rosenbaum, who were killed by a 17 year old with an AR-15 who was working basically with the police's knowledge and potentially full coordination um, and was tried, was apprehended by Anthony and who was then shot Uh the guy didn't even turn himself in that day. Like he wasn't even arrested that day, missed turning himself in the next day. Um, The police chief, I don't know if you guys watched the Kenosha police chief refused to refer to the killings as killings. He's, he called it um, uh, like a, a happening with a firearm or something like that. Like, you know, something incredibly clinical and ridiculous, um, which is just like, you know, I was like, this is it. Like, que se vayan todos, which is, they all must go. All the corrupt cops, all the excuses, we're done with it. Like, you watch that, the lack of empathy from that police chief. And this is replicated in towns across this country. Um, Anyway, uh, Malkia, you 
one of the things that you do in addition to so many of, of, of so much of your writing and your work and your activism is you're a grief counselor. And I've been feeling so heavy this week. And that's just, you know, my little, you know, half Chinese, half white ass over here just being like, I'm sad. Why is a Black Panther dead? And I can only imagine what it's like for Black Americans on a daily basis. But what do you, all this stuff is going on, like help, help us take that step to heal. How do we grieve in this moment? How do we take action? How do we not let that grief paralyze us? Well, first off, let me be clear. I'm totally not a grief counselor. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> but, bad. Okay. But it's all good, you know, but I do, um, I, I am, a, a, my wife died and um, my wife died from cancer in 2018. And, you know, I lost my mother in 2005 and I've lost uh, many friends and relatives um, recently in the last year. And so I, I, I kind of, you know, really leaned into this understanding that um, loss is something that we all have to deal with, but some of us have to deal with it more than others, right? White supremacy, racial capitalism, patriarchy has a hand in who lives and who dies, you know what I'm saying? And, and how frequently in the quality of life that we have. So with 180,000, you know, people dying from coronavirus, you know, so many of them being Black and Latino, um, and, and people talking about these pre-existing conditions, but the only pre-existing condition that either this disparity is racism. So, you know, so so I'm I'm kind of like I think one, you know, my my um the, the some people that I work with, you know, we talk about the fact that um we need to feel, we need to actually have those authentic feelings and we need our places of business, our jobs you know, our families, all these places that we are to understand that this is a difficult time. We need to feel. We need to find ways to console, right? We need to be in, in community. Coronavirus makes that very difficult, right? To be connected to other people, but we have to find ways to break out of the isolation. You feel me? We have to find inspiration. We have to look to what brings us hope and what's, vic you know, what's victorious. That's why I was so happy participating in and watching the, the movement for black lives, um, you know, black, black national convention, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it was so inspiring and it reminded me that no matter what we've lost, no matter what I lost, there's still so much to be gained. There's still so much victory possible and ahead. And then finally we need to take action because the thing is that grief unattended becomes apathy. You know, but grief transformed becomes agency. And we get an opportunity when we take action to allow our movements to actually be fueled by grief. It can be positive fuel. I mean, look, you talked about these protesters that were that were murdered. And, you know, 1963, you had like the three um, voting rights, uh, you know, um, voting voting activists that were killed then right mm -hmm. nothing's changed you know that we keep talking about how much has changed but it's the the only the the aesthetics have changed the basic relations of power are the same and our our losses what we've lost in the past is what we continue to lose today our land our language our life and our liberty it's all it's all the same so I think action 
our movements are an antidote to the to 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 the bad part of what grief can do. You feel me? Yeah, yeah. Can I? I want. I want to follow up on that. Um, uh, because I mean, Malkia, one of the things I appreciate about what you're talking about is that is sort of the like holding that you hold the contradictions of you know looking in a very unflinching way at the horrors and the suffering and the loss and the and the heartache that is built into the system and also the you know the determination around continuing resistance and and I um for people who don't know you could you talk some about sort of what what do you think of the continuing lessons uh of in that in that in that in the, on that question specifically of holding those contradictions from sort of the black revolutionary tradition and specifically the black Panthers. Hmm. Well, I'm not sure exactly how to answer, but I'll say what I, what, what comes to mind, you know, first off, you know, when I was, my mother was born with sickle cell anemia and she died from sickle cell anemia and uh, she died when she was 59 years old. And um, all my life, my mom had us singing, you know, singing freedom songs. And she taught us freedom songs and we and we sang them every day all the time. And I believe that part of the reason, part of the part of the fire and the purpose of freedom songs is to remind you that death and loss and suffering is not all there is. <laughs> you know, and, and I and, and and that is something that I carry that with me every day. You know, I think that there are reasons, you know, look. In, in the in the late 60s, we lost so many black power activists. Either we lost them to to the diseases and stress that 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 attacked black bodies, you know, because of the conditions, or we lost them to long-term prison sentences, you know, as, as political prisoners. But but our our folks were siphoned off from us. So and that that loss is something that the children of the party I don't think we've necessarily even fully dealt with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm. so, so there are losses that we're contending with today, you know, that, ha that affect how our movement is shaped today. You feel me? Because yeah. we've lost a whole generation of elders of, of radical elders. You know, we, it's hard to look for, like, I don't know about in the labor movement, you know, if you look to, to some of the elder labor activists, but it's hard to look to the elder black power activists. They're out there but they've been hurt. They've been seriously hurt. So, you know, so I don't know if the, if the, if the, in terms of the history of our of black radicalism, if, if our, if our struggles have, have helped me or helped us process grief. In fact, I think it's the other way around. I think it's the young people today that are actually helping some of those elders process grief. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So I don't know if that kind of answers your question, but um, that's, that's what I'm thinking about. The thing, I mean, the, the, you know, when you talk about the, the, you know, what it's like the elders in the labor movement, it's like, I've known, you know, I've known some of these, these like older folks who like gave their life to the labor movement who were like communists and who were blacklisted and, and chased by anti-union goons and beaten up and stuff like that. And like led these heroic strikes, these sort of icons. Yeah. There was one time I was like at a, at a conference or something with one and he was telling me these stories about, you know, like working with Paul Robeson and stuff. And it was incredibly inspiring. And then we like went into the, the bathroom and, uh, 
and then we went into separate stalls and then he just like had massive diarrhea because like all of the years of trauma had like rotted out his colon yeah. and so he like had no no more sphincter control um and so like he had just like like I, like so that's like there that's was where a I feel like I'm headed this week yeah. man there was like, like a, I feel like a roid forming there was like a fecal <laughs> manifestation of of, mm. of union busting. Mm. Well, damn. First of all, that's very nasty. Uh, <laughs> I don't, that's nasty. But but nasty. I feel you though in that you know the elders that I grew up with, you know, as my as my mentors and my parents, my aunties and uncles, they suffered. You know, they did all this work. They worked really hard. They produced incredible victories. They created a whole. Uh, aesthetic around power. They, they there's so much that we owe to the Black civil rights activists and the Black power activists. Um, but at the same time, they killed themselves in the process, you know. Mm-hmm. And they and they taught us that killing yourself is the way to organize. <laughs> you know that you're supposed yeah. to organize a million hours a day. That's the only way to do it. You know what I'm saying? That you're supposed to not ha- uh, not worry about your kids or not, you know what I'm saying? Not worry about your health. You're supposed to um, ha- not, you know, abandon your job and don't worry about having a place to live because as long as you moving the movement forward, you feel me? Right. Then that's what your focus is supposed to be. But at the same time, we can't move the movement forward without, you know, Audre Lorde says we, we cannot live without our lives <laughs> and we can't build a movement without the people there to build it. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm committed not to this individualized, you know, in, internal in, you know, sense of self care, but I am committed to um, building in this joy, you know, yeah. like my wife was committed to a life of joy, even as she was dying from cancer. And we we went to brunch. You know what I'm saying? You couldn't keep my baby from brunch. You know what I'm saying? We had champagnes. You know what I mean? Like we we did all that because you have to. You have yeah. to laugh. You know, yeah. the world to make you the world to kill you with tears. You have to laugh. Yeah. So that's what I'm about right now. You know, I'm about finding joy in the deepest, darkest parts of, of, of life. That's what NATO and I try to do. Hey, <laughs> bring it. Sometimes we are successful. I this week has been particularly rough. Um, I haven't been able to find that much joy. But I, I NATO, I was going to pivot to another question. Is that okay? Please, sure. Well, I wanted because and not to make us now that we've talked about sort of regathering ourselves and give fortifying. I feel like I can ask you about Fox News. <laughs> Um, Fox News. You well because you know you founded Media Justice and you talk a lot about um, systemic racism within mainstream media. Whether you know it doesn't matter whether it's Fox or MSNBC or wherever it is. And and um, I think what was so interesting to me about the RNC, honestly, was that the stories they just kept telling the same myths. Like I would, like they were going to just bring out like Pocahontas, you know, like whatever. And be like, yeah, she was a 10 year old, but she was, she totally consented to marriage with John Smith. Like it it was that level of like America's the best American dream, uh, founding fathers. It was just like beep, boop, bop, hit all the myths. And then they nailed it. I mean, and from a lot, yes, it was hard to watch, but from a lot of people's perspectives, yeah. and when I say people, I mean white people, 
I think it did the trick. Like the ratings weren't great, but I think the the way though all the dog whistling, all of the American myths, all that storytelling about what this country is and how it should never look back and how it is perfect. That all is working. And you saw you see Trump getting a boost in the polls. I'm going this is the week that I'm scared as shit that he's going to win again. And how I get around to Fox News is I'm like like how do we counter people like these mouthpieces with our own stories if we we can't rest on those bullshit stories anymore you know where people are conflating black lives matter with hating america and then the other side is just telling you straight lies you know i'm like it's it's very difficult to have justice in media when you one part of the the deal the biggest news network for example doesn't follow truth their truth doesn't matter it's just story it's like watching your stories Fox News mm. is people's stories when they turn that on. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, so Fox News is a right wing outlet. You know what I'm saying? Right. It 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 wears a mask of mainstream media, but that's not what it is. It's a right wing outlet, and it's no real. It's really no different from Breitbart or any of the other you know right wing news outlets. But I think to focus too heavily on Fox News at the exclusion of like the fact that it emerged out of a white supremacist media context is, you know, it, 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 it confuses the issue. You know, right now, 83% of newsroom staff are white. That's on in every outlet. <laughs> you feel me? Yeah. And, you know, the number goes up even higher if you get, if you go higher in terms of like editors and, you know, decision-making. Yeah. So we, we are in a context, right? People of color only make up less than 17% of newsroom staff at printed online publications, like 13% of newspaper leadership. So this is the context in which Fox News has emerged. Now, let's be clear. White supremacy, you know, built its own echo chamber. You feel me? Right. It don't even really need Fox News. <laughs> Fox News is the tip of a very deep iceberg. You know what I'm saying? They, they code the, the culture, the policies, you know, all of the stuff that, that white supremacy builds in order to, to echo itself. It's, it's all behind Fox news. So right. I don't, when I think about Fox, you know, the fact that Fox is on, you go to the laundry mat, you know, there goes Fox news. You at the airport, there goes Fox news. I mean, it's dangerous. I'm not trying to act like it's not dangerous, but I think what's even more dangerous is these online disinformation campaigns, you feel me, that then Fox News echoes those campaigns. So this relationship between what's happening on Fox News to what's happening online, I think that's actually the more the dangerous thing. Not Fox News by itself, but this relationship between, you know, what what's happening on 4chan or, you know, and then or, and then Fox News comes back and, and echoes that. You feel yeah. me? So that's that's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about these disinformation campaigns and the fact that so many of these disinformation campaigns, just like in 2016, they're targeting black folks. They're targeting right. black voters. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. They're using uh, the dog whistles on immigrant on immigrants. They're using the dog whistles on Muslims and Arab communities. Like, but the but they are reaching. They're trying to reach black voters with the disinformation. That's scary to me. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Then we've seen the ecosystem. I know a lot of great organizations have tracked the like 4chan to Breitbart to Fox News and it, it kind of just gets like, that's right. It's not, I guess it is just whitewash, but like um, mainstreamified and it kind of, you know, sweeps up into until then the president's talking about it. Exactly. And, you know, when you have that, when those are the conditions, that's how you get this like myth that mail vote by mail is dangerous because like it's 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 that echo chamber between Fox News and these disinformation networks, you know, and we learn that the the threat, the biggest threat to something like vote by mail isn't fraud. Like we know that it's disinformation. You know what I mean? Right. We know that that's the real threat. But anyway, I just think that's the most that's important. Can I can I ask what so what what's your what's your analysis about the the of like when you talk about Fox News as the tip of a deep iceberg like the relationship between the sort of extreme overtly reactionary racist uh white supremacist sort of media landscape and then like the sort of what's the um culpability of like you know the rest of the you know the NPR and the CNN and the MSNBC and sort of what's their responsibility for um, propping up white supremacy in the media field? I mean, I think that's part of what where I was going in the beginning is like, you know, if if these other outlets don't take a more aggressive um, approach to not only diversifying their newsrooms, but transforming the way they tell stories about race, you know, and about things related to race, then they are what makes Fox News so dangerous. <laughs> they are what makes Fox News, uh, it makes it harder to distinguish the Fox News from other from other news outlets, you feel mm -hmm. me? And Fox, to me like this, white supremacists are going to be white supremacists. I, I, don't, I don't expect change from white supremacists, you know? Only thing I expect is for those who are not white supremacists to ensure that it is clear that they're not. That's on that's on them. You feel me? They need to do what the work that they need to do to differentiate themselves. White supremacists are going to be white supremacists. Mm -hmm. You feel me? So that's that's how I see it. Have you ever have you ever talked about we've we've people have mentioned this all the time, but like the fairness doctrine of 1987 that was, you know, eliminated. It was eliminated in 87. I think it started in the 40s or something like this. But it's basically news organizations have a right to cover controversial topics or should have a like a, a a lawful obligation to cover controversial topics which is not a problem but then they have to cover it from both perspectives sort of evenly and in this case i feel like npr is the only place that does that and i kind of fucking hate them for it because of how like blase they are about some people say black lives matter other people say all lives matter anyway you know, uh, like, like, you know, just, it's so, I so, know. I don't know. Do you talk, do you talk about the fairness doctrine ever Look, and what I'm that might leftist. do? I'm not a liberal. <laughs> so let me just <laughs> be, be clear that I don't believe that white supremacists, a nation built on white supremacy, a nation that was built on the theft of land and the theft of labor can talk about equal time on, the, on media. We, we've, we are, have been living for centuries with them taking up 90% of the airwaves. Are they, like I said, they already 83% of the newsroom. There is no equal time. There never has been. So any policies or regulations that are about equal time, all they're about is denying us our time. You feel me? They, there's no, there's no equal time. I don't think white supremacy is a side that mm -hmm. that 
requires time. You feel Absolutely. me? Absolutely. That's time. I mean that's the problem, it's right? Exactly. I know. mean that's like the NPR treatment is like right. But also you're saying that if newsrooms aren't even reflecting that kind of like what the country looks like or at least or even just justice when it comes right. to storytelling, then, that's right. then the topics don't really matter anyway. Can I the um a, bu- uh, a bunch of people are asking different versions of this question in the comments. Um Malkia, in your career, you've done a bunch of organizing around the, around tech companies. Yes. And I feel like a lot of people sort of have like have some awareness about like the role of Facebook and Twitter and like and the internet in in online groups, you know, organizing themselves and and spreading hate and spreading white supremacy and you know, YouTube algorithms recruiting people to reactionary ideas. Yes. Can you can you share some about what you've learned about how to organize around tech companies? I mean, you know, right now we're in a in a in a data driven economy, a digital economy, right? Where where data is the currency of the moment. Um, it's it's uh, we're, you know, in a context of late stage capitalism where there's all these abuses and you know and 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 contradictions and crises that are emerging. We have these tech companies that are that are producing billionaires, you know, that are. Um, that are influencing uh, politics, that are uh, that are um, transforming the media. <laughs> like they have their hand in every um, in in so many. They're transforming law enforcement, right, and creating all of these means for surveillance at, in, in law enforcement. So when you deal with like a company like Facebook, you know, which has the population uh, of it's the largest nation in the world, basically, right. Um, and it has no rules, you know, it has its guidelines, but there's no real rules that it has to adhere to. Um, this makes those companies very dangerous. So how do you organize around them? Well, number one, you organize the workers. I mean, inherently, this is this is a, a, initially a labor fight, you know, the, the low wage workers and the, and the, uh, the well-paid workers, you know, the, the executives, like all of them, not the executives, but the 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 higher paid workers, like sure. we, those workers need to be organized to, because they have power to influence uh, how the board functions, you know, how this, how the um, decision makers function. That's what's happening at, at Amazon, for example, you know, workers are organized at multiple levels. Um, it's happening at Facebook. It's happening at Twitter. It's happening in many different um, companies. There's a whole coalition called the Athena coalition um, and, and many worker tech workers rights um uh, groups are participating in that and, and media justice is also a participant in that. So that's one way is organize the workers. Um, you know, there are shareholder strategies that we have tried, you know, um, to bring, to really pressure these boards and to pressure these shareholders. Uh, there's, there's regulations, there's um, antitrust lawsuits and, and laws that we need to, you know, break these companies up. Facebook is too big. You know, you can't regulate a company of that size. You can't regulate a company like Amazon. You know what I'm saying? They are too powerful. They're too rich. They're too big. So yeah. you got to break them up. So there's a bunch of different ways, right? But I actually think we need to put, like, even if we just took Facebook and put that into a, a lab, right, into a lab where we have some of the, you know, smartest economic and political minds sitting down, if we could just figure out how to deal with Facebook. I'm available, Belkia. Thank you. Thank you. Cause your brilliance is needed. You feel me? <laughs> but the, you, you feel what I'm saying? If we could, if we could figure out Facebook, then we could figure them all out. Cause Facebook is the biggest one. And it's what the kind biggest of coffee threat. You, have there, though? you said what? 
what kind of coffee will there be there? Uh, I don't NATO. drink coffee. I don't know nothing oh, about coffee. Y'all need to teach me. NATO, I don't know. NATO, NATO is NATO's participation is dubious. No, but I mean, look, we said this show was not going to be live on Facebook. Some people are telling us, oh, yeah, well, I thought you were going to stop doing Facebook. We are. Eventually, we're hoping to. But like, here we are still. But let's keep it real. I love Facebook. I be finding my old homies from the, from high school on Facebook. You know what I'm saying? My mama's old friends. I find them on Facebook. You know, I I am a Facebook. I am a Facebook hooker. I love Facebook. <laughs> I will turn it all off of Facebook. I, I love to share. I love to be shared with. So I'm not. I wish that there was a way for us to be connected without without our data and all our personal information being up for grabs, you know? Sure. I think that's the that's the line we're trying to walk. And also without like, you know, our children being being forced to produce the technology and without, you know, e-waste being dumped off in Africa. You know what I'm saying? Like it, how can we you asked me how do we organize around this? And I guess my point is that it's it's so prolific and it's so insidious that it, it's pretty hard to do so. Right. I, I actually think that, that, that COVID is going to lead to a explosion of tech organizing of tech workers. Oh, it already is. That's right. Because, because like, you know, a lot, all, a lot of these tech companies in the Bay area are saying, you know, are saying that people can work remotely and, you know, and then they, and then the tech companies are going to try to lower people's pay because they're not, they don't have to pay the Bay Area cost of living. Absolutely. And so, and so that means the companies get to keep that profit, right? Right. Um, and so I think that, that the, that the push by, by tech companies to, to use remote work as a way to lower labor standards is going to galvanize a bunch of work organizing in, in, in the tech industry. Dang. I'm, I'm looking forward to anything galvanizing my, my workers out here. Malkia, one last question from the peanut gallery on Facebook. Haya asks, recommendations for better media outlets. What do you like? What do you what Oh do you wow. Do? What do you do? That's a that's a good question. Um you know, I definitely listen to NPR. Um but I'm I'm often so very bored by it. Uh <laughs> You know, but they, you know, it's accurate. I, I read a lot. I read the Atlantic Monthly. You know, I read the New Yorker. You know, I I am a big fan of The Verge. Um, I read, I mean, what don't I read? I read everything, but I read and watch everything but Fox News. I mean, I, yeah. I don't actually think, I mean, I you know, the New York Times, Washington Post, is all the main stuff. I don't really think that there's any um, huge difference to be honest, between many of those outlets. The only thing I can say is read many outlets, yeah. read many different outlets, get a lot of different sources for your information because that's how you know it's real. Absolutely. And I would, I just double down on that and say, I mean, look, as much as I hate Apple news because uh, well, I love Apple News, even well, I hate well, Apple. Well, I exactly. I hate Apple, but I also hate that when you try to send a link from Apple News, it actually just oh, it just looks like Apple, Apple News. It just takes yeah. you to Apple News. And you're like, God damn it. I hate you know? that. But unlike Facebook, like I know a journalist who used to work at Apple, like they're, they hire old journalists, they collate and actually like quality control for the stuff that they're sending. So, you know, if you don't have an app, like a feed aggregator, I use Feedly, which I love, but Apple news does the trick. Cause you are going to get, there are real journalists who are working on that. It's not a bad thing. That. And there's a bunch of different outlets. So, and I also use pocket, 
like love that too. Pocket. I love Pocket. That's my jam. On pocket? I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Okay. I'm a okay, we'll look. I focus on tech policy. I don't know how to <laughs> actually use technology. <laughs> My wife what would always say, it, "Did you plug it in?" <laughs> so that's where I'm at. I get it. Uh, thank you so much for being here. We have one more segment before we get the f out of here on this beautiful Sunday evening. Um, we have a tradition here in the Bituation Room. Um, it is called New Segment. Never done it before. So this new segment in honor of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, 31 years ago released, and now another Bill and Ted is out, and apparently it's kind of good. Uh, Bill and Ted face the music. They've got daughters. Apparently it's amazing. This is our our excellent adventure. People in the comments chime in. Future people think about this. If you could travel via phone booth to any place or time in the past, where would you go? And what would you do? But where would you go? Um, Nato, have you thought at all about this? Uh, I would go back to 1989 and watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure in the theaters when it came out. <laughs> oh, I feel like it was like a sleepover movie for me. Uh, I, may have, I may have wasted my excellent adventure by going and doing something stupid. Um, I like. I have a lot of um, uh, like. I've I have a lot of nostalgia for things that I never lived through. Do you know what I mean? Like I have like a sense that. You know, I would have been somehow like a better fit in a different time and place. Um, and really, like at many other well, what, times. Yeah, like what time are you from, Nato? What when do you yeah. think you're from? Uh, you know, I feel like like um, uh, you're still gonna be weird at whatever time you choose. You realize that, right? Bro, come on now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like you know the I like like I I I would have gone and like been a part of like a you know Jewish communist like Bund type organization in you know New New York like in the 30s, yes. um, you know like that kind of thing. Like that feels like that would have worked for me. Just won't fucking like been an old Jew uh, like wearing a suit all the time. Oh, I like that. Tripping over cobblestones, like selling a paper or something, or yeah, going like, to like a meeting. Yeah, can't you see me just like being rumpled with like a f newspaper under my arm all the time? <laughs> You're not quite that old lefty, though. But we all know, though, that one lefty who always has a newspaper. Yeah, they might yeah. not be trying to sell it to you, but they've just got it there. They just have it for just just in case. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of a flex too. It's always like, well, I've been reading. <laughs> like, okay, we get it. We've got Apple News. Um, Malkia, what, what time and place would you travel to? I mean, it's so hard to say because there hasn't been a time in in the history of this country where it was safe to be black. So I'm just trying to think, like, where where would I go? Um, I, I'm going to have to say I would just go, go right back to um, 1988, 89, um, when I was working with Audre Lorde. I was a and, and I would, I would, she, she was still alive, you know? Um, and so I would talk to her and ask her a bunch of questions that I never thought to ask her because I didn't know she would be dead soon. 
you know? So I'd love to, uh, to go back and interview her and, you know, just really learn from her a little bit more than I, than I was able to. But other than that, I can't think of when, when would I go back? I, I was thinking I would go back to Harriet Tubman, but I don't want to be there. <laughs> You're like, I know she needs I, I the love, help, but I don't want to be you know, there. I, just, I don't want to do that. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. <laughs> that, that's it. I'm going to go back to 1989. Apparently, we can go to the future, too. I didn't know that. None oh. of the memorable scenes are when they're in the future. That's well, I'm off of the Afro future. I, I, that's where I want to go. So <laughs> I don't want to go to the past. What's the Afro future look like? I don't know. I mean, we're building it, but I, that's where I want to go. Maybe it's going to be 2030, 20. How long will I live? I, I don't know. But I want to get up there. I know you identify as a sci-fi nerd also. Yes. I did read that in your bio, even though I got the grief counselor wrong. <laughs> but I mean, this is a week to kind of like, I need to, I'm, I haven't yet, but I, I want to rewatch Black Panther. Saw it twice in the theater and just like hey. that kind of Afrofuturism of Wakanda as this yeah. like kind of peacekeeping nation. Um, you know, yep. it was beautiful. It was really, really beautiful. My family and I watched it last night again, you know, for the 15th time. But yeah, we watched it last night and it was it was wonderful. But right but right now, I mean there's is isn't there some part of you that's like, you know what, Killmonger was right. <clears throat> it, it it's not right now. I mean, I thought it when I saw it the very first time. Killmonger like, has some valid points here. He had valid points. He had valid points. <laughs> the only thing I was mad though that, you know, the black uh, American the the level of like how violent they made, you know, and how like we we up here choking women and stuff, old women. Like, no, I don't I I, I love uh this idea of the black American like was like the um you know the stepchild, right? And we get to come back and but mm-hmm. but damn why they have to make him so why he had to have so many I know marks and he killed so many people. I don't want to kill nobody. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, though, I feel like, don't you think Bill Clinton is probably like somewhere talking about Black Panther and be like, I'm just glad that the that uh, <laughs> T'Challa won out over Killmonger, you know? Like, it's, it's a terrible Clinton impression, but you know what he's you're saying. Like, I too am a Black Panther. <laughs> exactly. I play the sax. Bill, 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 Clanther, Bill, Bill Clinton's mostly going to be happy that, that, he, that the Black Panther portrayed the CIA in a positive light. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, that that upsets me. Why you had to uh, remind me that he was in the CIA? Cyber Guy Th- Thix on YouTube wants to go see an Aretha Franklin car- concert in 1960. That's a great use of the... Smart, yeah. I have one, which is similar to another comment, but I would go back to October of 1945. Ooh. Nine months before <clears throat> Donald Trump would have been born was born uh fred trump and his wife marianne are just uh saying goodbye to the last house guests they're a little wine drunk um and they got frisky and i would make sure they didn't i (laughs) would throw a fucking picture frame down you know just make it real spooky spike some whiskey do whatever it took to stop that conception. What I'm saying is good job. Uh, I would go back and I wouldn't kill baby Hitler, but I would kill baby Hitler in the semen stage. Yes. I would kill semen Hitler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. Do that. <laughs> yes. So 
uh, another commenter, Tiger Lily on Twitch, would go back and raise Trump, right? That is so empathetic, man. This is this is why we are the better the better half of this political spectrum is because we're like, we just want to raise someone right. Like, it's true. I don't. God damn it. I know. <laughs> I want to, I want to semen kill. Yes. I'm with that. Stop Thank that. You. No, mm, no one's getting frisky that night. Mm -mm, not getting busy right now. Fred Trump falls off a fucking balcony. I don't care. Like that's Bye. what happens that night. <laughs> Bye. Can you imagine? So much better. Everything would have been so much better. It's for the um, greater good. Malkia, thank you so much for being here. Please um, let us know how to follow your work. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter, at Culture Jedi on Twitter. Um, definitely follow the work of Media Justice, www.mediajustice.org. And uh, you can follow me in the street if you see me. Now, don't follow too close, though, because I'll get suspicious. I don't like that. <laughs> but in general, yeah, just, you know, stay connect with me however you want. That's good. Not however you want. I'm sorry. On hey, Twitter. Yeah, yeah very, with a nice distance, <laughs> say hi. Respect boundaries. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Malkia, take care. Have a good week. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yes. Anytime. And, and Nato Green. What's up? Everyone missed you. I missed you. It's good to have you here. I miss you too. Uh, uh, please go... Oh, sorry. Please uh -huh. go watch Laughter Against the Machine on Means TV, the world's first worker-owned socialist subscription streaming platform. And uh, uh, so it's this footage that has been lost to the sands of time for many years where Kamau and Janine and I, back in 2011, we went to like, we crossed the U.S.-Mexico border and we went to Occupy Wall Street and we went, we're on a hotel strike in Chicago and we went to the, the the levees in New Orleans. And it was like, you know, it was just a different time when the country was like really racially polarized and there was like gripped by political dysfunction and despair <laughs> and confusion. And it's just like an interesting time capsule to think about that now. Uh, oh, but it'll be good. Yes, go watch that. Means TV, NATO Green. Thank you so much as always. Buenas noches. Buenas noches. Killing it. And thank you all for being here. Thank you for your tips, you guys. Uh, the tip jar is a little low. Not going to lie. Movement Voter Project needs the money. Yeah, we're doing this. We're voting against fascism. So put your money where the movement is. They get it to grassroots organizations who are helping turn out the vote. Uh, that's the best and most effective way to do it. TBR-Live on Venmo. TBR-Live on Cash App. Fill this little tip jar. Thank you. Please and thank you. Um, and, uh, you know, remember, we are voting. We're getting out that GD vote. Oh, my God. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. This moment is bigger than all of our feelings. You know I'm a Bernie girl. I'm a Bernie babe. True and true. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Systemic change, we're putting it on the map. But right now, we've got an extremist white right wing to defeat, and I want to resoundingly defeat Donald Trump in fucking November and absolutely it'll make a difference. And also because John Lewis took a bat to the forehead and the head. I don't know which side of the head he took it to, but he probably took a bat to the forehead for our right to vote and for everyone's right to vote. And also uh, because the alternative is this. We have to give law enforcement, our police, back their power. They are afraid to act. They are afraid to lose their pension. They are afraid to lose their jobs. 
And by being afraid, they are not able to do the job that they so desperately want to do for you. Policing African-American communities. We must give them back their power, their white power. (laughs) Go take a cold shower, you guys. And remember, don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Bye.